I made the video. <laughs> and I've been stoked about having the series bumper before the sermon all week. I'm like, I can't wait to use that video. And then I just squashed it because I forgot. Because Sunday morning, and I haven't had enough coffee, clearly. Oh, well, good morning. Um, I'm a little late to the game, but apparently it's the Advent season now. And um, I don't know if you guys, I don't know what your church background is. We talk about Christmas as Americans typically, but then there's this whole segment of church culture that's really just up on this whole Advent thing. And I grew up um, on and off. So my mom was raised Methodist. My dad was raised Southern Baptist. And so my childhood was a little bit of schizophrenia back and forth between Methodist church and Baptist church in different seasons of our lives. And I remember in the Methodist church, the wreath and the candles and the, the readings every week in this whole thing called Advent. And, uh, and so maybe you don't have a context for that. Um, what, do, what do we mean by this term Advent? Well, Advent just is the season leading up to Christmas. It's, uh, the word actually has to do with the time of preparation in receiving Christ. It's, it's, um, it's preparing our hearts for the coming of Jesus. So it's a time of remembering and reflecting on the fact that Christ has come, but also looking forward to his returning. So it has kind of a a dual purpose for us as followers of Jesus. And it's this whole season where we just kind of push pause on normal, everyday life, and we just focus on the fact that Jesus came to us. And this is really important for us as 21st century Christians. I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that many of us sit in church uh, disconnected from the story of Jesus because we're so far removed from the original uh, events. But the story of Christ's birth is, I think in some ways, a subversive story of an upside-down kingdom that has come into this world. Uh, and when you compare it to this world, you can see how upside-down it is. It's a story of promise. It's a story of God's hope uh, given to humanity and, and just this earth shattering love from God that is still changing the world even to this day. 2,000 years later, the earth shattering love of God is still changing lives. And, and um, I, I, just thinking about this all this week, and I'm, I'm trying to anticipate your, your questions and your responses. And, and maybe some of you are sitting there this morning already going, well, Sadias, I hear what you're saying, but that's not what I typically think of when it comes to Christmas and the Christmas season. And, and so then the follow-up is then, so why then, if that's the purpose of this season of the, in the life of our culture, why has Advent become so obscured? Why is that not the prominent piece of the, what the season is for everybody in our, in our nation, in our culture? Why is that so obscured? I want to give you a couple of reasons this morning. The first one is materialism. And I don't just mean um, like the pursuit of stuff. I mean materialism as a worldview, which is the focus on uh, uh, the physical. It's a worldview. It's a way of seeing the world that go that says that matter is all that is. There's no supernatural in, in the materialistic world. So squeezing out the spiritual in our lives. Our culture at its foundation has become essentially a materialist culture. We, we believe that largely matter is all that exists. Uh, I think another reason would be secularism. 
the move of our culture consistently away from the knowledge and worship of the one true and living God. Just like compartmentalize that. That was already happening a hundred years ago, but it's just gotten consecutively worse as we just kind of, like God is a Sunday thing. I checked that box on Sunday, not really a part of my life on Monday through Saturday, especially Saturday, Friday night and Saturday. But but Sunday, I'm going to check that God box. And so just that compartmentalizing, uh, that secularist attitude. And then I would just throw in a, a third reason I think Advent's so obscured, and it's commercialism. It's the focus, especially at this time of year, on making as much money off of people as possible. You know what Black Friday is, right? Do you know how it got the name Black Friday? So business owners uh, are, are in the red. In the red means you're in a deficit. You're not, you're not breaking even. Most business owners in America today are in the red from January 1 all the way through the the mid part of November, and then on Black Friday, what's happened is that's the day people typically began to do their Christmas shopping, and then we turned it into like a feeding frenzy. And now Black Friday is the day when most business owners move their whole calendar year from being in the red to suddenly on that one day they're in the black, and that's why it's called Black Friday, because they've made enough money in one day to move their business into into the place where they've made they've, they've got enough money they're making a profit they're not in the red that's crazy that's crazy what was once a time to celebrate the birth of our savior somehow turned into a season of stress and traffic jams and shopping lists and unrealistic expectations and when it's all over like lunchtime christmas day when it's all over Many of us are left with presents to return and looming debt that takes months to pay off and beneath all of that, there's this empty feeling that we somehow missed the real purpose for this season. What if? What if Christmas became a world-changing event again? For us, But by turning our focus back to the birth of Christ, what would happen in your family and in your circle of influence if this focus was celebrated in loud and bold and unexpected ways this year? See, Advent, I think, is a unique opportunity every year when the days have grown dark and the weather is cold to press into God a little more than we normally do and slow down and focus on what really matters most, what's really important. So why the idea of Advent conspiracy? That just seems like a weird Phrase. Now, this is a movement that started a, a few years ago, and I've chosen not to jump on the bandwagon with a broader movement and link us into their website and all that stuff. But I, but, but I like this idea that um, with this Advent conspiracy, what, what we're doing is we conspire together to make Jesus the priority as his people. The word conspire is, is two Latin words. It's with, con is the prefix that means with, and spirata is to breathe. And so it's this idea of being close enough with other people and you're whispering together. You can hear each other breathing. You're just that close. And that idea of whispering and secrets, and that's where we get the word conspiracy. 
So it's this idea that uh, we're going to conspire together. We're going to get close. We're going to come in tight. And we're going to all make Jesus a priority as his people this Advent season. We're going to have to work at it if we don't want Christmas to crash. And to say that we're celebrating a conspiracy means that we're conspiring against our culture's tendency to worship consumerism. And instead, we're going to turn our hearts to Jesus with, with a lot of intentionality. And so, so today's focus, we'll, we'll do this for two weeks. Today we're going to focus on what it means to worship fully. To worship fully. And then next week we're going to talk about what it means to spend less and give generously. We're so focused on uh, the presence, our kids, our family, everybody getting the thing that's at the top of their list. And what if we just said, whoa, is that really the most important thing? And we just take a look at that. Some of this idea comes from one of the um, one of the guys' early church, I guess he would be a church father. He's third generation. His name was Irenaeus. Um, so you got John, the Apostle John, John the Beloved, right? And then John had a disciple named Polycarp. And then Polycarp had a disciple named Irenaeus. And Irenaeus was from a city called Smyrna. Now, if you've read the book of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3, there are seven letters to seven churches, and one of those is in a city called Smyrna. And this is where Irenaeus was from. And he ended up moving from that city where he was born to the south of France to minister there in the church. And Irenaeus said something rather profound at one point. He said this, The glory of God is man fully alive. Now, now that's not all-encompassing. Irenaeus didn't mean to say that everything that, can, that, that, that makes up the glory of God is all found in this one thing. He was simply saying this. When we, as men and women made in the image of God, are fully alive in Christ and we're walking in the Spirit, that is incredibly glorifying to God. So the glory of God is man fully alive. And that reality necessarily entails our full worship. Not just singing loud on Sunday morning when we're together, but the way that we live our lives. Because worship is defined for us by the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, in verses 1 and 2. Paul says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as living as a living sacrifice. So, so your whole body, your whole life, presented to God as a sacrifice, not, not dead, but living He says, holy and acceptable to God. And that is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul's whole point is, the way that you live your life, the the things that you put into your mind, the way you develop your thinking, your worldview, and then the actions that come out of that, all of that is worship. Eric Little, the the famous Olympian who who ran, uh, he said, when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. He just knew that God had made him to run fast. And he was just doing what God made him to do. And he said, this is one of the ways that I worship God. Not at the expense of being part of a local church, but just I know that when I do the thing that God made me to do, I'm giving him worship. And that's what we're getting at here with what Paul's saying in Romans 12. To worship fully is to obey wholeheartedly. 
Let me say that again. I'm going to say it like 18 times today. And you're going to go out of here, and that phrase will be embedded in your brains. And that's my hope, right? To worship fully is to obey wholeheartedly. So let's look at the text. Let's read a little bit of the Christmas story. Because I think what we will see here is that all the people involved in that first Christmas were worshiping fully. They were, they were wholeheartedly invested in that first Christmas. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. Don't you love it when scripture understates things? (laughs) Like an angel appears and says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And and she was greatly troubled. Yeah, she was freaking out. at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child who will be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I would just submit to you that Mary worshiped fully. She worshiped fully. Mary worshiped through the act of submission. She submitted to God. Now, obedience and submission, I think we get those two things confused sometimes. Obedience is an outward action. Obedience is doing the thing you were told to do. Submission is an inward attitude. Submission is an inward attitude. It's voluntarily placing someone else's will above your own. Not just obeying in the doing, but, but an attitude that says, I am submitted to this person's will in this moment. Mary was submitted to the Lord's will for her. Look at the words she uses. I am the Lord's what? Servant. May it be unto me as you have said. See, she knew and she believed that God's will was the best, even in the midst of what could be some very bad circumstances, something she didn't understand. How's this all going to work out? How am I going to avoid being ostracized by my family, my community? There are all kinds of questions that she has, but none of those questions get in the way of her submission to the Lord in this moment. Things were not as she would have planned them, but she believes in this moment that God's will is best and so she submits to him. And the reality is that what the Lord had told her to do could easily get her killed in that day and in that culture. She trusted the Lord's will above her own. Mary worshiped fully. And to worship fully is to obey wholeheartedly. 
Let's go on. Look at Luke chapter 2. If you have your paper Bible or if you're in the YouVersion app. Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. Now, just get out of the, like, in my mind, I'm seeing the kids on the stage, you know, just mangling the manger scene right now. We've all seen that, right? Back out from that for just a minute and, and try to imagine that you, uh, ladies especially, you're on the eve of your wedding. Guys, you're, you're on the eve of your wedding. And, and so if you're one of the dudes in the room, you're going, this is exciting. And then you find out that your fiance is three months pregnant and you know it's not yours. That's hard. That's hard. She's been staying with her cousin and people in the community are doing the math. They're doing the math. They're coming to those conclusions as well. They know it's not your kid. Your world would be rocked your world would be totally turned upside down. Can you imagine your family and your friends just kind of, some, maybe some of your family's just kind of quietly, oh yeah, you know, it's not too late to call this thing off. It's not too late to, to, to break off this relationship. No wonder God had to send an angel to help him understand what was happening. It wasn't enough just to send a prophet. Had to send an angel, Joseph. It's going to be okay. God's doing something. Trust him. Trust him. Worship. Obey. If we could deviate from the Luke text for a minute, we get a little bit more insight into Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And the text says the birth of Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, he genuinely loved her, and unwilling to put her to shame publicly, resolved to divorce her quietly because a betrothal was, was a legal marriage. They just couldn't consummate the marriage till later. They were legally married. So he's, he's thinking, I'll, I'll do this quietly. I don't want to disgrace her publicly. But as he was considering these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. He's gaining some clarity here directly from the Lord. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means salvation, by the way. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. 
Jesus was born, all the circumstances, just more than the, the, the people, the supporting cast can really understand or even carry. And then Joseph decides he's going to worship through obedience and faith. He makes the decision to worship. And he takes Mary to be his wife despite these crazy circumstances. And he listens to the messenger of God. He listens to this dream and he embraces the message. And so Joseph worshiped fully. To worship fully is to obey wholeheartedly. And that's what Joseph is choosing to do. There are other supporting characters here in the story too. We go back to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20, and we see that in the same region there were some shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were filled with great fear. And so the angel had to say to them, Hey, fear not. Behold, I'm bringing you good news of great joy that's going to be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And as if that wasn't freaky enough, suddenly, suddenly, there was with that angel, suddenly a multitude, a platoon of the heavenly hosts. These are angelic warriors. And they were there praising God, saying, that word saying in the text can also mean singing. It's not clear if they were chanting, singing, who knows? It was freaking people out. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels had gone away back into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And the angels and the shepherds worshipped fully. The angels worshiped through the proclamation of the gospel message that night over the hills of Bethlehem. They were given a message, sent with a purpose, deliver the message, and they obeyed. They worshiped fully because they obeyed God. The angels exploded with praise as they contemplated and sang about how God's peace would now be given to people who were previously at war with God because of their sin. They worshiped God. And then the shepherds, in response, worshipped fully. I don't know if you understand, like the shepherds were despised, typically as thieves, considered unfit for polite society. The shepherds had to live on the outskirts of town. Now, this is ironic because they're the ones who provide the sacrifice for the rest of the people, but they couldn't actually participate because they were considered to be unclean. It's kind of a raw deal. And despite all this, the shepherds worshipped by going and telling what they had seen and heard, just as they were told to do. They obeyed. They worshiped fully as they obeyed wholeheartedly. And the angels rejoiced, and the shepherds went and told, because to worship fully is to obey wholeheartedly. You starting to get that? It's starting to get embedded down in your brain, down in your heart. I just want to 
I just want to tamp it down the 18 inches from here to here, just to get, get it down in your heart. What does it look like for you, your family, to worship fully this Advent season? As I'm thinking about that this week, I'm, I'm uh, struck by how inconvenient it was for everybody involved. And one of our five core values is the inconvenience of ministry. This wasn't just the inconvenience of ministry. This was the inconvenience of God being a part of your life. Just like, you're bumping my plan, Jesus. And he's like, yeah, I know. I know. I like doing that. Um, so we see the submission of Mary. We see the obedience and faith of Joseph. We see the proclamation of the angels and the shepherds going to see and tell others what they had seen. And so worshiping him fully, moment by moment, living obediently, submitting your will to his will, sacrificing your time and your treasure to truly and fully worship the king of kings. That is what we are called to do at all times, but especially at Christmas time especially in this season of Advent. He who willingly left the glory of heaven to be born as a baby in a dirty manger. He who came to live in this cold, sinful world and die a brutal and lonely death so that we might experience forgiveness and eternal life. He is the one who is worthy of all of our worship. We should worship him fully. Obedience is costly. In this life, just as it was in the first Christmas. I think about what it cost them to respond to God. It was costly for them. Uh, the Magi, we didn't even get to the Magi this morning. They, they, they gave up comfort and they, it cost them time and expenses to travel to Bethlehem to see Jesus. Joseph, it cost him his expectations of marriage. It cost him his expectations of being a daddy and that first baby coming into their new family. It, 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 God was doing something he couldn't see and he had to walk by faith and just trust God. Mary, it cost her her body. Uh, it cost her her reputation in their community, certainly. It cost her her comfort, her physical pain, her emotional pain. But you know, Christmas was also costly for God. It cost God something. Jesus, the beloved son, the truly God, fully God, left glory to wrap himself in humanity. Completely vulnerable. He came as a baby, a helpless infant. He set aside his divine rights and prerogatives and made himself nothing. He became a humble servant and endured the cruel brutality of the very people he came to save. It cost him something. It cost the father as he watched his own son experience the pain and cruelty of the rejection of our sinful world. And the father, out of love for humanity, laid all the sin of the whole world on his son so that the penalty could be paid. The father's cost was so great at Christmas. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And so now it's on us to receive this unspeakable gift. What are you going to do with the gift of Jesus? We received this gift that was bought with pain. It was bought with obedience. And we realize that God gives this gift with no strings attached. He leaves the choice to you. If we want a relationship with him, we can have it. The price has been paid. He paid the price. And so he leaves it up to you to receive the gift and have the payment applied to your account and be redeemed. God, think about this. God paid the price for his own enemies. 
He paid the price for his own image. Think, think about that. The father allowed humans to murder his son, but the father poured his wrath and judgment on his own son to fulfill the payment that was due to their sins. And mine. And yours. And this is the gracious work of a sacrificial and loving God. And in response to that overwhelming, earth-shaking sacrifice, he calls us to worship. Just to worship. Because to worship fully is to obey wholeheartedly. So when it comes to the Advent season, practically, like how do we recalibrate our souls? How do we get back to the real reason for the season? Why is it at this time of year when worshiping Jesus should be easiest, it's actually hardest. Why is that? What exactly is Christmas all about? I'd like to suggest that we not allow another Christmas to pass us by like a blizzard. Do you know what I mean by a blizzard? Wreaking havoc in our lives spiritually and leaving us cold and without power. That's our typical Christmas. Wreaks havoc, leaves us spiritually cold and without any power because we don't stop and worship fully. What would happen if instead of acting like bystanders to the nativity, we would enter in as participants? What if each individual or family at Emmaus Road set about to be intentional with the gospel and meeting some need in their community as part of the Advent season. I'll share one of our Satterfield family traditions with you uh, that our family started when Noah was born. And it's just a small thing, but it's become a big deal to our family. And just to give you an idea of something you could, you could do, um, before we unwrap any gifts on Christmas morning or empty any stockings onto the ground to begin eating candy at 7 a.m., we go to the Gospel for Asia website. We huddle around the computer. We go to Gospel for Asia. And uh, we have an agreed upon amount that we're going to spend as a family on the Gospel for Asia website. And so we laugh and we delight in talking through whether we're going to buy five chickens or to feed five families or we're going to buy, buy two bicycles to help two missionaries get from village to village and share the gospel. And all of us you know, have input on what we're going to purchase with that set amount of money and we talk about it and then we, we buy it and, and it's just everybody's delighting in doing something for the kingdom before we rush to our gifts before we rush to the things that we want for ourselves and we stop and we just pray and we thank God for the privilege of of being able to give that gift to the kingdom for his purposes. And so our focus is on him and his ways before we move on to our gifts. And it's a small little thing that we started, but it makes a huge difference in our Christmas morning. And and so we, we just desperately need his presence more than we need our presence. We need him. And not just on Christmas morning. And when we slow down and we take the focus off all the stuff and off of ourselves and we just still our hearts before the Lord, we begin to understand Christmas more deeply. And the result is we begin to worship Christ more fully. We saw how the Christmas characters responded when they encountered Emmanuel. Their worship sprang out of deep places of the heart that were touched by God in the flesh. And the same worship manifests itself in action. First in expressing adoration to God. And then their worship sprang out of the deep places of the heart and and manifests in obedience. 
Not just, uh, not just adoration, but obedience. Worshiping fully is at the heart of Christmas. And so as we study these responses this morning, what emerges is a compelling picture of praise and worship of God's people. So as we praise him, we understand Christmas more deeply. And as we understand Advent more deeply, we will worship Christ more fully. And it's a time of wonder and worship and awe. And I pray that it will be for you and your family again this year. I hope that your heart will be still this Advent season as we conspire together, conspire to make Jesus the priority as his people. Let's pray.